Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. This is a really powerful psalm in, uh, in kind of the canon of King David from the Old Testament. And it's actually the psalm that Jesus quotes as he's hanging on the cross, that first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's not that Jesus just thinks that's a really great time to start hosting a Bible study, but he, he's, he's kind of replaying the, the pain, the anguish of his ancestor David as he's experiencing that same feeling of being abandoned by God, of being accused by the people around him, of, of, of abject failure, this kind of existential dread, yet being able in that same breath to turn, to pivot, to remember who God truly is, what God has done in the past, and then to ask God to come once again in his faithfulness for rescue and redemption. As we continue on with this series, What to Do When Everything is Terrible, I'm so drawn to the Psalms like this or passages that we've looked at from Lamentations and Jeremiah and Job where we see that humanity wrestling with the divine between what we know to be true of God by faith and what we're experiencing in the reality of our lives. 
And I love that rather than the scriptures being somewhere where all of the answers have already been ironed out, we see it playing out in real time for us. And so in the kind of in the middle of this series, what we wanted to do was actually to pause and to hear from a few people in our community who know this story well, who know what it's like to cry out to God, wondering if he's even real or if he exists, um, to come to terms with the reality of their lives, what they're experiencing, the suffering within themselves, um, the suffering they're feeling from the outside world, um, but to open up their lives to allow God to really begin to speak and to move. And I love how David pivots towards the end of that psalm to say, I'm going to make this proclamation in the great assembly, that the theme of my story is going to be one of rescue and redemption. And you and I know we need these kinds of stories to bring this truth alive for us, to believe, not as it only true in David's life, not only was it true in Jesus's life, but it's true in the lives of the people that we fellowship with, the people that we love, that we sit with, that we weep with together and we celebrate these things. We need the stories of one another to keep the Jesus story alive and at the center of our community. So today we've invited a few people to come forward and to share their stories. And although their points of suffering or what those terrible days looked like are all a little bit different, I'm I'm hoping that you're going to hear some common themes about what it means to be a human being, what it feels like to be lost, to be confused, to be scared. Um, But the incredible consistency, yet specificity of the heart of God to meet us in those moments and to begin to rescue and redeem us. Um, So I'm going to pray and you're going to hear from a few people in our community. Um, Father, again, I thank you for this moment in time that so many things are being revealed and uncovered, not just within us as individuals, but also within our church and not just within our church, but within the church um, across the world and especially in this country. And God, I pray that our ears would be open to receive the testimony of our brothers and sisters. Um, Not just that it's something that we would compare ourselves to, but something that we would draw inspiration from. That when we see your fingerprint at work in the lives of people that we know and we love, that it might awaken us to the possibility of, of what can happen in our lives as we continually try to live open and vulnerable before you waiting for your redemption. Um, So bless us, Lord. Bless this time. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. My name is Mitch, and uh, this is my story. Um, In 2008, I uh, was in a motorcycle accident, which led me to injure my back uh, pretty significantly. Um, I then got put on extensive painkillers, um, which I became very addicted to that led to me manipulating doctors to get more medicine, um, which eventually led to a full blown, uh, heroin addiction, which led me into a life of crime from a college student to a business, a general manager of a company to a, a drug addict criminal. Um, that is uh, that is where it led me. It led me down very dark road um, to incarceration, multiple multiple times, and um, 
so there's something that happens uh, to the human psyche when you have done extensive amounts of, of opiates for a long period of time, um, and then also being incarcerated time and time again, it becomes primal. Like I became more or less like an animal. Um, so I still had the fundamental, um, the fundamental human attributes. Um, I still loved things, I, but everything was about getting that substance, no matter who I hurt, no matter what it took. Um, and there was moments of clarity um, through that that time period. This was a, a time period of seven full years and um, where I would look in the mirror and be in disgust of the person that I saw. But until I was fully able to surrender um, my wants and desires, uh, there was no coming out of it. So I come from a, a non-spiritual family, um, but I have always went to church with other friends' families um, since I was 12. And so I always, you know, Christ was always there. I just couldn't see him through the mist of the drugs. And uh, so after a long period of incarceration, I had gotten out, got right back into the same relationship, into the same destruction and started committing crime again. And at this time I was, uh, charged with, I believe eight, it might even have been nine felonies in four different counties. And, um, I bonded out on all of them and took off on the run across the country. So I was running from my past, running from my problems, but it wouldn't they, it wouldn't stop. So obviously, because I had bonded out on all of these things, bounty hunters were literally chasing me through across the country. I was in Minnesota. They would go to the cities across the country where I had family that lived, and they were making their way up north. And you could see it. If you looked at it on a map, you could see that's where they were coming because that's the last place that I had family. Um, the stress of looking over my shoulder and just the stress of my past, like it was killing me. You know, it was literally like I could feel it. I couldn't sleep. I had gotten off of opiates and then strung out on another substance during that time. And uh, at one point, I knew that I had tried every single thing humanly possible to beat this on my own. And I knew that only God. If anybody could do it, only God was able to do it. Um, I hit my knees and I prayed and I literally prayed that prayer. I said, God, I've done everything that I can do and I can't beat this and I can't shake this. And I know that you can just help me. And uh, at that moment, which is, this is the weirdest thing because I've never had an experience like this. The calmness that I felt in that moment was unbelievable. You know, and in the days preceding, I went and turned myself in and uh, came back to Florida to face the court system. Mark Michael. And um, yeah, my story, I think it's not just like kind of that single thing. It's it's uh, quite a bit of things kind of coming together. But there was kind of a culmination point. We were living in Scotland and... Um, we loved Scotland. It was great, and uh, except for lack of sunshine. And our daughter Ashlyn was there with us, and um, you know, just 
in the midst of all that, of the busyness of living on mission, living cross-culturally, and there's a lot of stress that comes with that. Um, but it was all good, though. But in the midst of that, um, our daughter started having some really serious health issues and some scary health issues, and they were things that just nobody had answers for. And um, ultimately, we found ourselves in a hospital um, with people trying to figure out what was going on and they just couldn't figure out what was going on. And then also kind of around that, it began to change her as a, her personality as well. So she went from being vivacious, you know, uh, social butterfly, can't see enough people, can't go enough places, have enough people over to not wanting to go anywhere. And wanting to cancel things and uh, starting to deal a lot with anxiety, especially in the hospital it started, and then panic attacks. And it was just, our little girl was just in some ways being taken. And um, as a parent, you can deal with a lot of your own stuff, but when you see a child go through that and you're helpless as a way of just kind of laying everything bare. And I think what, what I discovered in the midst of that is through the living cross-culturally and all the stress that comes with that and the tension and the kind of always being on high alert um, and then it also causes you to question everything, you know, kind of just what's going on in this culture, am I understanding it correctly, do I even know myself now and so, but we were functioning but when that happened with Ashlyn everything just kind of came crashing in and uh, you know, I said God kind of pulled the curtain back on a lot of things that uh, we, that I was blind to, but at the same time kind of pulled the rug out of us out from under me all at the same time. And um, yeah, I was just a bit lost in that moment. And all of a sudden with all that came every, I think every hurt I'd ever had, every question I'd ever had, every doubt I'd ever had that I was able for a lifetime to keep at a distance either by staying busy um, or by uh, just having kind of the pat Christian answers, you know, and just be like, that's good enough, I'll just keep moving. Um, and uh, when I was faced with all those things, uh, it was just overwhelming. And they began to lead me. And all of a sudden, I was going in a direction that one, I mean, I say I woke up, I don't know the exact moment, but I, but there was the reality at some point of the way this is going. I don't think I'm going to have any faith left at the end of this. But I was in total reaction mode. I was just reacting to those things. I was allowing those things to lead me going with the flow. And I had a decision to make. And so I either could continue down that journey or I could deal with it and I could wrestle and fight and not necessarily fight to say I'm going to, you know, develop an artificial faith that I can be happy with, but just be willing to really be honest with those things, deal with them. And if it led me to a place where that truth was that there wasn't faith and that wasn't who I was and that was, I didn't necessarily want to be there, but that is where it would go, but I would do it honestly. Um, but fortunately in that moment, the leaning into the being present with my suffering and allowing God to teach through that 
and then also discovered several um, incredible authors, leaders, preachers that um, I've never met, probably never will meet, but several of them had just a huge impact in helping me rethink a lot of that and go through a deconstruction to where at the end of all that, I was just basically, not literally, but basically sitting on the floor with a whole lifetime of faith that had been handed to me as a child. I grew up in the church in pieces randomly all around the floor. And uh, I just had one thing left. And it was Jesus. And uh, when I thought I was going through all that, all that deconstruction, looking back on it, I just know, I know God was present with me through all that. And I feel like in some ways, coaching me, egging me on, saying, yeah, move that piece, take that piece, like, yeah. And that moment of the realization of all I'm left right now with is Jesus. But that was, but that was enough. I'm Jenna Wimmer, and my story is about my brother, who kind of came to us. Um, I was probably a preteen um, when he joined our family as a little toddler, as like a bit of a Brady Bunch. Um, his dad brought the two boys, my mom brought the two girls, um, and they just they we we created a blended family. And um, he was always kind of a really kind of weird kid. I think maybe that's why we were so close. Um, we just really bonded, and so I don't really have a whole lot of memories of my childhood without him in it. Um, and then, uh, you know, life went on and our parents got divorced and he was the baby left in the house. So he was 16 and he wanted to live with my mom and the courts would not let him. So he had to live with his mother. And so I think what happened there was like the start of everything. So it was like super constricting and ridiculous rules and he couldn't do anything. And so when he turned 18, he just kind of left. He wanted freedom. He wanted to experience the world. Don't blame him. So he started train hopping and panhandling and, um, like he really enjoyed it for a really long time. Um, I remember just like, it, it was a season of life where I would answer my phone no matter what the number, no matter what the time of day, because it was just somebody's random phone that he could call and check in. And he always called and checked in, always, you know, uh, made sure that we knew he was okay. And um, just really looked forward to those calls. So, um, and that went on for about five years. Uh, I think he always had a plan to chill and like, get a job and work instead of travel all the time. Um, and later, like after he passed, we got, we found some, some stuff that he had made in rehab. That was like a five-year plan that he wanted to come live with me and have me help figure him out, like what he was going to do with his life. Um, so, and then in, uh, 2015, we got a call from a detective in Montana that, um, they found him dead, that a woman had strangled him in a parking lot in a car. Um, and she was so out of it that uh, she was still there when the police arrived. Someone called the police, tried to revive him, um, and um, she was charged with his murder, and he was gone. It's such a weird thing to have like your memory stop, right, about someone that you love. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was five years ago, and it's been really rough. I think I, I entered a time where... 
remember the feeling initial like massive grief and loss. Um, I don't do anything without feeling it fully. So it was um, just always crying, always sad. And then I think I just got really, really mad at God. Um, and I was angry all the time. I was mad at him for not protecting him. What the heck was the point? Why did I pray all those prayers? Why did I worry all that time? Why did I, you know what I mean? Like answer my phone at all times to listen. You know, it's just, I put a lot of stake in the Lord helping him get through the bad choices he was making in his life. Um, and this felt like the ultimate betrayal from God um, to not do anything. And I just, I couldn't worship. I couldn't uh, read my Bible. I couldn't read books. Everything was just kind of dead. Um, yeah, I was just really mad all the time. You know, my kids were really young. I remember it being like, they would just pat me on the back. <laughs> and a lot of like, mommies, are you okay? It was, it was pretty crappy time. Yeah. yeah. I would say just graceful, merciful, you know, loving. Like I felt in that moment when I prayed that prayer, it felt like I was a little kid and scared to death and my father had wrapped a warm blanket around me. Like that's the feeling that I felt inside if I can explain it in a, in a human form. Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So seeing God work in my life, um, I, I have done literally nothing but show up. Um, when I went to court facing all of those charges, uh, it, was, it was almost like you could see God's hand on the judge's shoulder. Like I had been to court many a times before and never got mercy, ever. Um, at this point, now I'm a... 15 time felon and a repeat offender over and over and over again. So if mercy was going to come from the court, it wouldn't have been at this moment. And that's when it happened. You know, I was able to get sent to a drug treatment program for the first time. And, uh, I just, I took that moment, that moment that God blessed me with and made a decision that I was going to seek him and not, you know, that nothing was going to take me back. I was going to, I had to change everything, the way I thought, the way I acted. Um, I had to literally kill my old self in my heart and in my mind in order to become who I am today. It was just very much a presence type thing where it was, um, I've never thought about it this way either, but it was almost like a child with a parent saying, it's okay. We got this. And it was just that, um, just knowing that that was enough, that it, uh, looking back on that, I realized that that took me from a faith that I'd grown up with all my life. The white knuckling it, thinking I, I got to believe these thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand things, and I have to have all these things right. Even though I never would have said that, and it was a subconscious thing, but looking back on it, I see that. You know, I can't let go of any of these things. Even if I don't under, even if they don't make sense, or it doesn't seem like it fits with who God is, it's just this is what I have, and I can't let this go. But then also, kind of with fists ready to fight, you know, debate or whatever. But through all that, though, kind of coming back to that image, it's just, I, I, it's taken me to a place where I just have 
I feel like my faith is open-handed. And there's just, uh, there are things that are there now that I'm confident that at some point God will say, okay, you know, now you're ready for this and now you're ready for this and we'll move those things around. But um, I just knew that the enough, Jesus being enough or the Christ being enough, probably a better way to say that would be that it was, um, I was giving my discipleship over, I guess, to Christ and allowing that to be the leading and the prompting and the I'll just fly through some of them because they're so incredible what the Lord did. Like I um, took a solo train plane ride out to Seattle for a memorial service that all the travelers throughout the country were putting out for my brother. It took about a month and a half to get them all in one place, which was kind of crazy. Um, so I took a train, a plane ride. I'm by myself. I'm like at the window seat, like looking out the window, barely being able to hold myself together. And I'm like, please don't have this lady talk to me, which was very abnormal for me because I'm a chatter. And um, she was like, oh, what brings you to Seattle? like um, weeping like oh it's for my brother's funeral um and she would just she put her hand on mine and she just said I'm so so sorry that's happened to you and I come to find out like she's a Christian counselor from Orlando in front of her is her pastor they're going to a spiritual retreat and she literally just if you know counselors they know the right things to say and it was like the perfect she just ministered to me the entire time the elderly woman next to me like told us her story of losing her husband and the grief she went through and like the healing she's gone and then she like ordered us all adult beverages down there. it was just little it was just crazy a friend of mine like got me a hotel that I didn't have to worry about in Seattle so then I like get there I meet my other brother and 80 people showed up which is just the whole time I'm worrying that he's alone he's out there no one to care for him no one to love him like does he know that I love him does he know that our family loves him and he was surrounded, I mean, story after story of my brother and like ridiculous things. I'm wishing I never knew he did, but you know what I mean? Like amazing stories of just people knowing him, loving him. Um, like an older couple who came who had like met him as he was traveling and like let him stay in their back room. Like they came just to like show their support for him. Like just, I mean, it was, it was insane. And the Lord was like, just, I couldn't hear it then. But now looking back, he was like, see, I was with him the whole time. Remember that pastor that showed up who said like he gave him that guitar that one time ministered to him like on the streets of Texas. Like that was me and I was there with him um, and I'm with you now. And um, just like, I mean, I I remember sitting in the back of church, Greg Singleton in front of me. He didn't really know me, knew what was going on. This is my months and months. The, the song um, Good, Good Father was on. And um, I, I'm sure Greg could probably hear the scoffing in my voice. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, there's no way in a million years I'll be able to sing this song um, with, uh, you know, truthfulness. And Greg just turned around and he said, um, I'm so proud of you for being here. I couldn't step church, foot in church when my niece died for months. Um, and it released something in me that I didn't even know was there. It was as if God was like, I see you showing up, even if you don't believe it, even if you don't experience it, I see you showing up. And I've been surrounding you this whole time, but I want you to know that I see you here. And it was, it was big. It's just like, and then like, just, I started to read books and I put them down because they mean nothing to me. But then like a random book 
why does God allow evil by Clay Jones? And there's like little lines in it that the Lord just made highlight. I don't remember any of the other books, but these little lines that answered questions that really, really like made me stop pursuing God over, um, or friends in bigger conversations, just be like, Jenna, you know, we did not know the, the heart of the thief on the cross. And, um, we didn't know the heart of your brother when he died. So like, we need to, you know, it's just like little things like that, that the Lord used people, used books, used instances to like put my heart at ease. I think the biggest thing that I learned that I still carry with me is like the wrestling with the Lord was me being faithful, was me living out my faithfulness. Like I think I always think I have to get to a place and then I can get faithfulness from the Lord. But like that was my act of living in hope was, um, you know, taking a step and being there. I mean, the Lord does most of the work, but I did show up. At least I tried to show up, you know what I mean? In, in whatever crappy mess of a way I was. And he could take it. He took it. Like, he took all of my anger and my rage, and he just stayed with me. And he, he just stayed with me. And it was, it's big. And I think I've gotten to know a part of his heart that I would have never have experienced if I didn't have to go through this. Honestly, um, people that I've been able to connect with that I would never have connected with, except that we both have a brother that died young, you know, um, and just stuff like that. And even, you know, this is, in, this is absolutely insane. It's going to blow your mind. Me and Sola, downtown Chicago, two years ago, we're walking along the street. We're like a little day, 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 you know, we're enjoying our time. There's a traveler sitting on the side with a sign I'm traveling through. So I was like, hey, buddy, like, you know, how's it going? Need something to eat. Um, so I was like, where are you from? He told me a little bit of a story. So I sat down, me and Sola sat down. We started talking to this guy. Um, and I was like, oh, my brother used to travel too. Like he passed away. And he's like, oh, really? Like, I wonder if I knew him. And, and you think like you want it, but whenever. And I was like, oh, well, he went by Grimes. Like Grime? That was his street name. And um, I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, that's not that kid that was killed in Montana, was it? And I was like, um, yes. And he was like, man, I didn't know your brother, but that dude is missed and he's really loved. And I lost it. This is me with my seven-year-old <laughs> downtown Chicago, just weeping on the street. And it was like the Lord again, pouring out, like it's been years. And Jenna, you know, your brother was loved and he, his memory lives on and I haven't forgotten him either. And I haven't forgotten you. And man, I just, it's stuff like that that I like can't I can't talk my way out of in any time that things go bad um yeah he's just he's just held my heart with it and I'm so grateful yeah so the people so God introduced me to to Alcoholics Anonymous and that's a miracle in itself that I found the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous being a full-blown drug addict and not in a sense an alcoholic um, but the drugs and the alcohol were were just a, a solution to my problem my problem was the way that I thought and the way that I acted and so today I have a network that God has blessed me with from people in church to people in recovery that I can cling to when I have those moments, like if you ask any person that has an extensive amount of sobriety and recovery uh, what to do, because that's what I do. I've, I've been taught and trained to ask people what I should do, to not lean on my own understanding and to not lean on my thinking, to put, you know, to put myself out there and be honest and open-minded 
to listen to somebody else telling me what they've done. And um, so, and if you ask somebody in recovery, the first thing you're going to say is, have you prayed about it? Have you given it to God? That's all I ever hear. You know, and I'll forget that at times and those times of um, uncertainty or uneasiness, um, my thinking is not the right thinking. So I put it on those people to, to guide me and they guide me right back to God, you know, every time it's unbelievable. Uh, well, a couple of things, some of it will be practices, but then some of it would be mindset too. And I think the mindset is what's changed with me. I think is every question isn't an attack or, a am I going to walk away or not walk away? It's become, and this goes back to the Jesus thing as well, the Jesus is enough thing, is um, where is God in this? Uh, because at times when I ask those questions, part of the question was, I don't know if you were actually here in this. You know, my mom died when I'm three. Like, where, where were you in that? Like, how does that work? And then, but now when I do face those hardships, the difficulties, I'm, I'm searching for God in those things and I'm, I'm finding God in those things and he's teaching me new things to those. It doesn't mean they're not hard. It doesn't mean I don't have doubts. I don't have bad days, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it going back to that idea of the Christ, it's, it's gone from Christ being part of the story and me really in a lot of ways worshiping the word of God don't take this the wrong way but lowercase w because that was like the book that's just I do this I don't do that to realizing no like I'm worshiping the wrong word of God it's Jesus is the word of God and it's Christ centric and and it's almost like you know as a little kid pulling out the decoder ring or the glasses you put on to read the you know the message in the cereal box it's just Jesus everything is interpreted now in my life through who Christ is and who Christ reveals God to be Colossians 2 or Colossians 1 sorry yeah, I think it's just the fact that I don't know the big picture um, that I'm not really the one in charge and um I, I'm choosing to believe in a God who does have the big picture, who knows everything and is for me. Um, those are the things I'm choosing into. Uh, I purposely, every like anniversary of his death, sit at a park and listen to the song, um, Goodness of God, because I, I don't really believe the words, I think, fully. Um, but uh, it's like an, an act of me to choose. Like Those are the things I, I've experienced from God. And no matter what happens, I know they're true, even if I don't feel that they're true. Um, so I'm going to posture myself in a way in life that that is what comes out at the end of the day, even if I'm not really truly experiencing that. Um, and I, I mean, we see that in the Bible all the time. People, people use that, like you are the God of blank, the blank and blank. Like it's almost to convince ourselves again, we've forgotten yet again um, that he is that good and still holds us. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.